As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is an unspoiled network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering... What We Do in the Shadows, Season 2, Episode 4, The Curse. In this episode, Nandor opens his email, finds out that he has been cursed, panics, and then on the other side of town, Guillermo also thinks that maybe Nandor has been cursed and panics. It's a different curse. But there's a lot of panic to go around. Welcome to Spoil Me. I almost said unspoiled. Did you guys hear that? Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Max for commissioning this episode. Max commissioned this episode and he commissioned the one after this for Full Metal Alchemist. Thank you, Max. Um, Coming through. So this episode is wild and this really marks like an interesting turning point to me um, for Guillermo. I'm going to start by talking about the vampires and what's going on with them because that part of things is so well done and so silly. This is one of those moments where you really have to stop and step back and go, okay, that's just really good writing though. Because it like (laughs) what I'm realizing the vibe is with vampires is we're going to combine the extreme superstition of people who, you know, grew up, five centuries or more ago. And we're going to pair that with the kind of clueless paranoia of boomers. Do you guys remember getting these sorts of chain letters 
in emails. This is the kind of thing that I feel I don't I, I, I want to talk to Owen and ask him about this because Owen was born in 1990, which don't get me started about that. But I'm wondering if these sorts of things were really a thing for him growing up. Because when I got my like first email address and AOL was sending out <laughs> CD ROMs with a free 24 hours of fucking internet or whatever they were doing. These sorts of emails were like just becoming really a thing and they sort of faded out after a few years. So I feel like Owen probably by the time he was old enough to really use a computer or have his own email address, that this wasn't a thing so much anymore. That said, it's not like this stuff doesn't still happen. It's just a lot more rare. And what I really like is that I expected Nandor's email to have a ton of like spammy. I just thought there would be a lot more in there. And there's only two. An invitation to come and see a, uh, I think it's like a special viewing of some kind of the blind side with Sandra Bullock. And this curse email. And when I stopped to think about it, I was like, well, that makes sense because Nandor isn't out here on the computer all the time. Like he clearly, he didn't even know how to start it up. The scene where Guillermo has gone to get his laptop for him is so telling. It's really interesting the way that Nandor, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I have to wait and talk about Guillermo later. But the, the moment where Nandor is like trying to uh, wake up the computer and he just goes, arise. I fell out laughing. That was so good to me, guys. I don't, this fucking dude, he is really good. It was like, I think that par partially the suddenness of the delivery and how incredibly like sincere it was. But Guillermo doesn't help him. He doesn't offer to start things up. He doesn't go to his email for him. He just hooks up the computer and then is like, you're good. Which is a marked departure from the way that he has behaved in the past. And it's interesting because Guillermo's attitude doesn't seem to be fully sinking in. It's not like Nandor is asking him, what the fuck is your problem, dude? So much as I think that Nandor and the rest of the vampires had assigned Guillermo a bad attitude long before he actually had one. So now Guillermo's actual attitude is beginning to match up with the way they imagine him to be. Does that make sense? And so they don't like... The others just, he's sort of background to them. He, they don't pay much attention. But Nandor just seems to be like treating Guillermo's sort of in, in, disinterest, frankly, is the word I want to use. He seems to be treating that more like um, Guillermo is incompetent rather than this being a chosen approach and I'm wondering just how long Nandor is going to keep sort of 
seeing things that way, giving him maybe a little bit of the benefit of the doubt or interpreting it as incompetence, because there is going to come a point where it's crystal clear that Guillermo is fucking fed up. And I really want to see what that looks like. What's going to be the moment where they actually get it if they ever do. And that's a really interesting question, actually. Do I want them to get it? Because if this were more of a drama, I would say yes. I want them to, like, have a moment where they step back and think about the ways that they have, like, mistreated Guillermo and start to realize, like, oh, wow. At the same time, part of the comedy does come from how completely oblivious they are to how shitty they are to him. And I'm not sure if having them make a realization will ruin that or if there's just a better way to play with that once they do notice, you know? Um, but I'm saying all of this because I am working from here on under this assumption that Guillermo's like vampire killing is going to start to overtake his familiarity. <laughs> familiarness Famili- what would how, how you know i'm trying to call like him being a familiar like by a name as a role for him but i can't figure out how to even say that but yeah i kind of foresee and that's not to say that like i don't know if i see him quitting exactly um maybe being found out alternatively perhaps i don't know but i just kind of feel like i want a shift for him i just don't really know how dramatic a shift because him living with them is part of what the what makes the joke so good you know um (laughs) i mean he was sort of serving as unintentional security for them when the vampire council kept sending assassins. So maybe if they ever found out, they could like allow him to live with them as security, but a lot about the way they would treat him in that situation would probably have to change. And I don't know if they'd be willing to, you know, anyway, I just said literally like before getting on this whole thing that I need to start talking about Nandor and not Guillermo. And then here I am because Guillermo is so interesting. Okay. So Nandor, um, He opens the emails and I love that Colin Robinson is in the room with him. And Colin Robinson is like naming every Sandra Bullock movie. Um, And it also made me stop and realize like I have seen very few Sandra Bullock movies. I only saw Speed for the first time last year. Never saw it before. Uh, You know, it it holds up decently for what it is. Um, But yeah, I just like there's a bunch in there that he named that I was like, oh, shit, the one that I definitely saw was like Practical Magic. I saw that from a kid. And Colin just fucking draining everybody this and later on when they ask him for his email address are so good. Um, But Nandor opens this email and it has a it's a chain letter and it is so like him reading it. The whole way that he reads it, it's a recognizable, like, kind of chain letter. But because he has no understanding, the way that he reads it, the intonation is extremely different because of this. So when you go through it and you're taking it seriously, 
I it, it, the the vibe is just extremely threatening in a way that it takes a lot for me to change my point of view to see it that way. But once I do, I'm like, okay, I guess I see. So <laughs> next message, I'm going to read this. This is not a joke. You are now cursed. Forward this message to 10 people and unforeseen riches will be yours. If you don't, you will be killed. Bloody Mary knows who you are and where you live. She will find you and hang your corpse for all to see. You have until sunrise tomorrow. No sendbacks. This is not a joke. So, first of all, the this is not a joke. This is one of my favorites because at one point, Nadja says, is this some kind of joke? And he says, it very explicitly says that it is not a joke in multiple places. <laughs> However, I will say, while having seen a lot of these, I have never seen one that involved Bloody Mary. Have you guys seen that? And I'm not saying that this doesn't exist. And I'm not even saying that it matters if it exists. I'm just curious if it exists. Because the ones that I've always seen are basically like, if you don't forward this, you're just going to have really bad luck. The thing you fear will happen to you, you know, whatever. Um, but it's never been like particularly specific. And in this one, Bloody Mary is like, I don't know if it's supposed to be that Bloody Mary is the one who caused them to be cursed or if Bloody Mary is more sort of like, you know, an independent contractor that they have brought on board to handle people who don't deal with this effectively. But whatever the case, the Bloody Mary aspect of this is the funniest part to me for some reason. And it, like that doesn't really make any sense. I think it's just because of how it takes everything sort of up a notch into a really there is like uh, there isn't just a nebulous bad luck cloud that will follow you around and cause things to happen at random or cause the worst possible outcome and it it's a being that is going to come to your house specifically and eviscerate you because that's one of the legends that's in this email is that there was like a girl who didn't do it and she got eviscerated and her insides were put on her parents' front steps, which fucking Laszlo will not stop talking about. Um, but yeah, I, I personally don't remember anything like this coming up. It was always much more vague. And um, there was often a sort of like pyramid scheme-esque kind of prize that was alluded to in it like if you did it and you got enough people to do it then you would somehow be rewarded in in proportion to how many people you got to send it was like the kind of thing it's similar to like have you guys seen these things that go around at christmas time where it's supposed to be like oh if you send one book to a person on this list as a gift then your name will be handed to 10 people and 10 people will send you books as a gift. You know those things? And like, if you actually break that down, it doesn't really work. But I see that sort of thing shared so often still 
because people don't really stop and like think about it, you know? Um, and this is a really similar kind of vibe. So he calls Nadja in here. I love it when she starts reading and then it says, if you're reading this, it's too late. And she just calls him, you stupid donkey. How she says, you stupid bloody donkey. Why did you let me read this far? Um, so the girl who disobeyed Bloody Mary is Ariana. They ripped her guts out and dropped them on the front doorstep of her parents. I'd say we're fucked. This light box has cursed us. And at one point when they're trying to figure out how they're going to find 10 email addresses, which guys, I, I am so glad Guillermo wasn't home for this because one, he would have like put a stop to their interpretation right away. But two, if he couldn't, which maybe he couldn't because they really do not like to listen to him, he probably could have collected 10 email addresses just off of random websites in like five minutes. But the the thing that Nadja says is where are we going to get 10 emails at the email store? And Laszlo says, no, I'm pretty sure that they'll, they'll, they'll be closed this time of night. I don't know why that stupid fucking joke got to me so bad, but God, it really did. That one cracked me up. <laughs> Again, I think it's the sincerity. I think that's really what sells a lot of this show is like the jokes themselves are sometimes not amazing, but the way they fucking deliver them, it just changes it and makes it better than it is, you know? Um Ooh, Jan, good call. I also remember the forward this to 20 people and Bill Gates will send you money emails. Yeah, there's a lot of that on uh, on Facebook about either getting Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg to send you money. There's also the one that went around a few years ago about um, Tyler Perry and like him, like if this gets so many shares, then he would, you know, it was like a weird thing. I don't even remember how it was supposed to go, but it always shocks me when people really like believe this stuff. And I guess that really what scams like that kind of depend on is that most people are just going to sort of approach it as it's probably not real, but if it is, won't I feel stupid if I don't do it? So it's more like how hard is it to send this on to several people in light of the fact that it may be real and it takes almost no effort and no trouble for me to just click share or forward. And I'm covering my ass in case there is something to it, you know? Um, and I mean, I kind of get that, I suppose. Like, those are the kinds of superstitions I think that are probably the ones that still hang on to this day. The ones that take very little energy. And you're able to still carry it out without really, like, disrupting yourself at all but it feels like you're maybe doing something to prevent bad luck you know knocking on wood i will confess to doing that all the time the knock on wood thing and i don't think i have an object containing real wood in this entire room now that i stop in the, maybe the the i think the feet of my armchair here are, are actual wood but i do that one a fair amount i have a friend who does this so uh tossing salt over her shoulder if she spills salt um which i always thought that was a weird one spilling salt being bad luck maybe just because salt was super valuable at one point 
Um, but yeah, so, you know, I guess that if you're going to go with it's easier to just do it, then wonder if maybe you're missing out. But I always feel, especially with Facebook, like if I would, if I were to send this anonymously to somebody's email, fine. But if my name is attached to it and other people get to find out that I am that like superstitious or that gullible, I'm too embarrassed to forward that. I would also be too embarrassed to share something to my Facebook feed because I would just be like, I don't want people knowing that I even had an in instant of considering that this might be real, you know? Um, but yeah, so they are trying to figure out what to do with it. They find a uh, business card from a guy from Circuit City. And I have to imagine this is like a really old business card. I'm pretty sure Circus City is just not a thing anymore. But it's got an email address attached. I am surprised they don't get it bounced back on that one. But they then go to Colin Robinson. I don't know if I have acknowledged this in other episodes. But guys, Colin Robinson's version of being in his coffin is just him sitting on the side, the edge of his bed with a fluorescent light. I think I may have mentioned how creepy it is, but I don't think I realized that this is sort of his like default at rest pose. And my God, they have managed to really make him one of the creepiest fucking characters I've ever seen on anything. I don't know what's creepier. The just sitting and not doing anything. He doesn't have his phone in his hand. There's not a TV in there. He doesn't have a book. Just sitting. Or the fact that he has chosen fluorescent lighting. I know that I like, so, okay, full disclosure. I have never been like diagnosed with anything like autism or ADD anything like that. I've never seeked out a diagnosis. I have never gone to see a psychiatrist or a therapist with those kinds of qualifications. The only therapy I have ever gotten was from like a PhD student at a university because I could not afford a real therapist and still can't. So I have no idea about the realities of this or not. But a friend of mine who has autism, I said something about how I flip out when Owen turns on certain overhead lights in the house. And she was like, oh, yeah, that's like a thing. Did you know that? And I was like, I don't even know what you mean by a thing. And she was like, yeah, people who are on the spectrum can get really weird about lighting types. And like sometimes the light bulbs will make a noise, a really high pitched noise. And that will be so distracting and disturbing to them. And I will tell you what, guys, I almost fucking like kiss her on the mouth. I can hear a lot of light sources. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this, like, right, you know, but I have never really like talked about it. And that is part of it is a lot of overhead lights have this like shrill dog whistle sort of sound that eventually you may get used to it. But it's never actually not bothering me. It's just that I get used to being bothered, kind of. 
And in at home, the overhead lights that we have are these like really bright LED bulbs. In regular lamps, we don't have those. For whatever reason, the ones the house came with that are still good are these like hospital light, blue light kind of bulbs. I can't take it. Sometimes we have to turn them on because we have no choice. I swear to God, I would rather sit in fucking darkness than sit in a room with that just on. And Colin is just, that is the light in his little windowless fucking cell. And for me, that has knocked him right up into the like echelons of creepiness. I don't, that's, that's my thing, man. And I don't know why that's it, but that's it. I fucking hate it. Um, just like in general, the noise of a lot of, uh, machinery and appliances and stuff, um, I'm very aware of. It's not bothering me a lot of the time because it's uh, often will be sort of a, like it's a, a low hum that doesn't feel like it hurts almost, but the light, light bulb ones, they really feel like they hurt. Misty says you could be hypersensitive, but you could also have some sensory processing issues. Martin says, no, don't worry. You aren't fluorescent lights used to make my skin crawl in high school. Right. Okay. See, thank you. Like, like I said, I'm not trying to say that I'm actually on the spectrum or I have no idea. Like I very well could be, and I may not at all, but it was, it was just very vindicating to find out that there are people who have a strong of reaction to it as I do, because Owen kind of makes fun of me sometimes. And I don't, I wish that I could explain the feeling of that kind, that quality of light. And I can't put it into words. It's just, it's like somebody giving you a bathrobe made out of sandpaper and being like, what's the matter? It's a robe. Like, no, no, it's not. This is torture. Um, Martin says, I have sensory integration disorder and just can't wear certain gloves or whatever or whatever without my skin automatically crawling. There's a better way of putting this than I am. I have ADHD for what it's worth. Interesting. Okay. That's, you know, this was part of what came up in the conversation as well was that when I was a little kid and I had to put on my, my winter coat, I would always hold on to the ends of my sleeves as I put my arms in the coat because sleeves getting pushed up and being like up around your elbow under your coat. For me, I would start to like kind of flip out. It wasn't even like I would externally freak out. It was more that I could not think about anything but that uncomfortable sensation and being like constantly distracted by it. Um, so it was, if I, if somebody tried to put my jacket on me and didn't give me a chance to do that, I would have to stop and be like, no, 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 no. Like you hold on. I am, I have to pull my sleeves down first, you know, very like specific things that I was just, it was like, if it didn't go this certain way or wasn't this certain way, I would be so distracted by it that it was like, well, I may as well not even be here. I'm not like hearing you. I'm not participating. I'm just thinking about how my fucking sleeves are bunched up right now. Um. Anyway. Okay. 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 So we get a little bit here too. I love, I love of Nadja and her ghost in the doll talking about a 
curse that she saw happen. When I was younger, I saw so many horrible curses going around. There was a man who was just in the market and didn't pay the fair price for the meat of a goat. And then poof, you know, his bollocks are shriveled into these tiny two little raisins. The man's bollocks, not the goat's. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. I thought that was clear. No, it wasn't. I could just watch a show of her and her ghost. Her ghost being like kind of pedantic and correcting her. I honestly, this is so fun. I would be awful. Oh my God. I never want to meet my ghost. Thank you. No. Um, but yeah, this idea of like, I saw so many curses going around is so funny to me. I mean, why not? I guess you may as well say something's from a curse. It's as good an explanation as fucking anything. Like truly, because even if you can explain, Oh, his ball shrilled up into tiny little raisins because he had this rare disorder, such and such. Yeah, but why did he have that disorder, though? Because of a curse. Clearly. Well, maybe he did. Literally, who can tell you no? Like, the the luck of the draw with us getting diseases and not getting diseases is truly fucking impenetrable. So you may as well just call it anything. And sure, go with that. Why not? Um... So then we go to Guillermo and he is with these dudes. <sighs> so it turns out the mosquito collecting society or whatever they want to call themselves, they are going to go out on their first actual hunt. And this is sort of weird because it's so sudden that part of me almost wonders if it isn't like, I don't actually think it is, but part of me almost wondered initially if they knew that Guillermo worked for vampires, if they had started to figure it out and they were sort of testing him. Because, of course, you think, as well as Guillermo does, that the house they are describing is our vampire residence house. There's no reason to not think that, especially when the topiaries this girl who can't pronounce topiaries are discussed and he asks if any of them look like vaginas and she's like they there are some adult themes but it turns out they're just balls i mean that was pretty good they misled me very very effective and he begins to sort of have a panic attack as he thinks that they're going to his house and he doesn't know what to do because he can't just leave them to go on their own He's not going to get there faster by himself on foot than he would if he rode in the car with them. But being with them is also going to look really bad. So he's trying to call and leave a message. Our friends at home, though, react in such panic to the phone ringing because they have no idea what it is. This did not occur to me at all. I it like truly didn't. I don't know why I would have thought they had been using the phone, but clearly either they have never used it or they use it so infrequently that they forget what it is because it begins to ring and they all panic. And then he leaves this message and he's having to whisper because he's in the back of the van and he sounds like a creep who's going to kill them and is telling them, you have to get out of the house now or you're all going to die. This is not a joke. And he ends it with, this is not a joke. Chef's kiss. Absolutely perfect. So, of course, this 
like confirms to them that time is running out. They have to get this done. So they go to talk to, to Colin, get his uh, email address. He does a whole thing about how he insists on writing it down. This pen is out of ink. Let me try the old Bic. And as he's doing this, he's talking about like online security. Earlier, he was trying to emphasize to Nandor about his password and that he really like people think they can just get away with changing the case and adding a number or two. But really, that's the floor, not the ceiling. Y'all, look, I'm just going to be honest. I use the same password for almost everything, right? Like, we all do this. We all do. It's just a thing. We all know it shouldn't be how it is. And I know that there are programs out there. There's LastPass and Pass Vaults or whatever the fuck. I know that they're out there. But I truly cannot be bothered. I just fucking don't care. There's a big part of me that personally, I'm just like, if they get into this account, good luck. Because there is a 95% chance there is no money on that card. That card is expired. That card is maxed out. God knows. Like, it's not like I have a lot of money to steal. And I know that identity theft is a thing. But I just can't actually get myself to be concerned it's the kind of thing where I have so many things to worry about that there comes a point where you just don't have the energy for more worry. So this is one of those where I'm like, I'm aware it's a terrible habit. And I won't say that I am actually using the same password for everything because what happens is you come up with different versions of a password, right? And I'm sure I'm not the only person who does this. So, you know, at times you would have had an at symbol in it. And then like, you forget because you haven't been in an account in a while and then now you have to start using it again and you can't remember. So you have to reset it and you try to use the at and they're like, you can't use the same password anymore. And you're like, Oh, right. So now you use the ampersand instead because the at you can't use. So you're going to try and get as close to that as you can. The, my other favorite one is, Ooh, Ooh, I can't remember. So now I'm going to put two ampersands. So now I've got the password with an at, I have the password with an ampersand. I have the password with two ampersands. I have the password with an at and an ampersand. And it's like all really the same password. But, you know, and I'm not, these are all examples. This isn't actually like, I don't use ats and ampersands necessarily. I'm just saying that this is like how it goes. So I have like probably 10 versions of almost the same password but just with like different numbers and letters and like case changes and stuff. And that's how I do it. And even that as basic as it is, I still get locked out of shit all the time, <laughs> all the time. I just don't remember. I forget when I made like, Oh, well, by the time I made the account at this website, was I in ampersand? timeline or was I still in the at timeline is like sort of the way that I think about it like was that was that 2018 because then it was the at but if it was 2020 that's an ampersand for sure you know don't remember Ugh, it's a mess so yeah Colin don't lecture me man because I know I know it's bad I know I'm fully aware 
But there's just only so many things that I can really give a shit about at a time. And I swear to God, the password ain't one. It's just not. I don't. I don't have anything to steal. Like, even if they took my identity, I don't, like, have credit. You know? I don't, I, like, I just genuinely wonder what happens if they did take my identity. I know that there are things that can be done. But I would just be curious because I can't accomplish a whole lot with my own name, with my own identity. So there's a part of me that wants to be like, okay, if you steal it and you can do some shit, I would love to know. Because I would like to also do some shit. <laughs> Misty is in the chat saying, no, Martin says I have three different passwords I cycle through, right? Exactly. Um, so anyway, that whole bit with Colin, they like, they're, they scrabble around and finally at one point, um, Nadja is like, what if I just email bloody fucking Mary at AOL.com? And she does... And it bounces back and it says that it's been returned by the mailer demon, which, of course, they take in the way you would expect. That is honestly a really good joke. That's like, I if you tried to tell me that there was going to be a mailer demon joke in the show, I would assume it would be a real low point, you know? There's just certain things that on the outside, you're like, I don't feel like that's funny. And then in the moment, it's just perfectly timed, perfectly executed. What a good idea. You know, in theme with everything, it's just ideal. Also, I just, it's so weird, the like, the terms that we have adopted for technology, like a mailer demon is a weird way to say, you know, there's also like um, in the coding and like processing in the different parts of computers, there's like the slave and master, which I always found to be like, why did we do that, though? Like, we don't we don't have to change it necessarily. But there's a big part of me that's like, we could have chosen a lot of different ways to do this. And that's what you went with, I guess. Um, but anyway, so. Going back to Guillermo, he says that what he's deciding is to infiltrate these guys. So he's going with them in order to try and sabotage them. And the thing is that he's assuming sabotaging can just consist of him trying to argue his point. If you really want to sabotage things, Guillermo, you have got to pop a tire you know, you have got to do something to make it physically impossible for them to get there because they clearly are not listening to you. And so he calls, leaves that message. And then when he actually gets out of the car and realizes that there is nobody, that th this is not his house. This isn't like who he was worried about. He is so relieved that he for a moment clearly stops considering the implications of what they're still planning to do because his whole worry was for his friends. And now it's looking like that's not actually anything anymore. These guys are still intent on breaking in. And I got to say something that I loved about this is that he mentions that they really should be doing this during the day. And I was like, 
Yeah, that kept coming up for me as well. I was just like, it's night, they're gonna be up. Wouldn't you want to come at them when they're actually down for the count? I will say too, that it was sort of wild how many of those vampires, once it turns out the house does have a bunch, are asleep. Considering that it is nighttime, I would have thought that they would be awake, but it's a lot more like fun house, like vampire than I would have expected. Um, but yeah, I would have thought that they would be up walking around and the house is like basically quiet and empty. There's like one dude who's listening to that song on a uh, record player in one room. But otherwise, everybody's like in bed in coffins. Like, I was truly surprised. But nevertheless, they're heading in. Guillermo keeps arguing how we could go to jail for this. This is breaking and entering. We can't be doing this. And I'll be honest, when we get inside, the house is so bright in some ways that for a moment I was like, this feels like a very regular suburban house. And then they shine lights on the photos on the walls. And Guillermo says... See, they're just a regular family. Guillermo, those photos are not normal, kiddo. You have been out of the human, like, stream of society for too long. If you can look at these unsettling as fuck photographs and think that's perfectly normal, look, this is just a regular family, sir. These people are creeps. Holy shit, dude. So yeah, he goes upstairs with one of the girls who's got like, you know, her fucking flashlight and they they all have all of this wild equipment on them. And they open a door and there's two like little beds and there's two little like figures laying on the beds and they assume that these are kids that have fallen asleep. Um, Oh, Martin says, I think they were all playing possum like the hunters were being tricked into going in there. That's interesting. I didn't think about the fact that maybe these vampires saw them coming. But if they did, I'd be curious how they were so prepared, like how they know. Um, But these two figures, like Guillermo and the woman turn their back on them. And she's talking about how she used to have those same star stickers for her ceiling way back when, which same, those were just like one of those things, Um, especially 90s, having the star stickers on the ceiling and having one of those clear phones where you could see all of the different colored parts inside the phone. Those were like the two absolutely 90s kids essential bedroom decor. Beanbag chairs were another, but I never had one because there was never room because I always had such a small bedroom. Um, either a beanbag chair or one of those like papasam chairs. How do you call that? But you know, you guys know the ones I mean, the round chair that uh, was very popular, like Pure One. That was such a thing. Those chairs, it's wild that they got so popular because they are not like comfortable. I don't understand them. I think maybe you have to be like a different a different type of sitter than I am for those chairs to work for you. But they're talking about this and the two figures in the bed slowly like rise in that real creepy slow way. It's really well done. And then 
they like judder out to them on the landing in that like sort of fast forwardy looking way. Oh my God, you guys, it's so good. It's so creepy. Like it's so stupid and yet it's really fucking scary to me. And this begins the fucking showdown because there are a lot of vampires in this house. Like what do we have? And we've only got the three plus Colin in the other house. And that's a pretty big house considering how few people really are in there. This house is also big, but it doesn't look like it's going to house 15 people. And Loki, I think there were about 15 of them in there. There were the two girls who had their own bedroom. There's the one guy downstairs. There's a bunch of them like hanging upside down in a closet. There's uh, at least like six or eight in the attic upstairs which looks like the same set that they use for the attic in the other house but it's fine like why not um there there's a lot of them in here and guillermo bless his heart i honestly loved this he goes fleeing from the house right and he's outside he's gotten away he could flee i don't think anybody would blame him for just getting the fuck out of there. He didn't want to be there in the first place. He warned them. He, you know, there's like a lot about this that you could be like, this really, he was not really part of this. But there are people screaming in the house. There's flashing lights, you know, there's all kinds of like movement and crashing. And he can't do it. He can't just walk away. So he goes back in. And he goes through and kills so many of these fucking vampires. I love, too, that, like, he kills the little girls and apologizes to them as he does it. Um, it's just a slow, like, him going around and rescuing everybody. They don't save everybody. I can't remember the name of the kid. Is it, like, I feel like it started with a C, but his name, maybe Carl, they had borrowed his mom's van to come here. But they need to get it back at a certain time because she's going to be catering a quinceanera the next day. And he winds up dead, this kid. And they're like, well, we still need to get her van back. I was just like, are you guys going to tell her or are you just going to like drop the van off and bail? And she's just going to wonder what happened to her son for a few days. Like that is something that I'm genuinely curious about. How do they handle the loss of a member of their crew? And how do the vampires handle these people knowing where their nest is now? Because I would assume they aren't going to want to stay living there if there's a possibility of being jumped. And I didn't, they, there's a mention of like how stupid familiars are because the key to the house is in the, fa the flower pot outside. But we don't see an indication that there's a familiar that's in their employ not to say that there isn't but i don't remember like spotting anybody who just looked human and i'm very curious about who that is and just the general like logistics of if you get found out do you just move to like another house or do you bail and like go to another state or another country because if you're gonna go by like twilight rules 
they moved to another state every time that it was supposed to be that they like graduated high school and then they went to college in quotes, then they would change towns and they would start high school all over again, which honestly, guys, that is the most tedious thing in the whole world. I'm not going to talk about Twilight, but stop and think about it. Just doing high school over and over again. Kill me like truly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they like barely get out of there. Um, Doug Judy has like a fucking stake driven through his foot into the floor and Guillermo yanks the stake out and like helps him walk out. But Doug Judy is like, I'm trying to go faster. It hurts. You know? Yeah. Yikes. There is a lot of blood. It has just been a fucking massacre. And the vibe when they leave is a lot more subdued. There's no music. Everybody's just so shaken. They really believed that there were vampires. So it's not even like I'm shocked that what I was intending was real. It's more like I thought this would be simple. And I wasn't like unprepared for how many there were. Maybe I was unprepared for how quick they actually are. I thought I would have more of a chance against them. Like, any number of things and also the actual death of one of their party i'm sure that none of them there might have been the death of more than one i feel like i'm just thinking about that kid because it was his mom's van but there might have been another person too um martin says i like how this episode serves as a reminder that while the staten island trio plus colin are lovable yet dangerous bumblers actually competent vampires like the ones featured in this episode are goddamn terrifying his name was derek if i recall i feel bad for that poor guy's mom i know right same like i was worried i'm still wondering what guillermo's going to do about it because guillermo has like a weirdly strong conscience for somebody that was able to turn their conscience off completely for so long and I really don't know what to think about how these changes are going to manifest with him. Because like he was saying, he would help his masters just go find victims and bring them to slaughter and didn't really think about it at all. And now there's somebody who died and like, is he going to bring the news? Like what, how does that work? Um, and it's interesting, too, because Martin is saying, like, these are actually competent vampires. And I got to be honest, Martin, I don't know if that's true. They are apparently, from the way their home is decorated and taken care of, they're more low-key overall. They certainly don't appear to be. And the possibility might just be they are not as old. You know, like, Nandor is like a thousand years old or something. Um Naja and Laszlo, like Naja's like 500 years old, Laszlo's a few hundred. They have been around a minute and they clearly are hanging on to their like traditions. But this household feels like it was full of people that returned in the last century or so. And that just might be the way it looks. But if they were playing possum, they did a bad job because there is a much better way to jump on these kids than the way that they chose to do it. I don't think I totally buy that that was what was going on. I like it in concept, but in practice, there are too many moments where they catch vampires completely like with their pants down and so, like, you know, the one girl goes into that closet and they're all hanging upside down and they seem genuinely asleep. They're not reacting to her. If they were aware of their presence, I feel like they would have attacked her immediately. 
And instead, they seem like groggy and sort of out of it for a second before they adjust and realize that she's there. And same thing when they go up into the attic. Like there's a moment before all of the um, the doors of the what do you call them? Coffins open. And if they were waiting for them, it would just look different to me. So I think that they were caught somewhat unawares personally, but who knows? Like we may find out in either direction. Uh, Martin says, I mean, the seventies vampires didn't spend most of the night freaking out over a chain email. That's fair. We don't know what they freak out about. Who knows? They may have freaked out about a chain mail at some point. I'm just saying. But yeah, I mean, like, obviously, in comparison to all the actual vampires we've met, met, not even the ones in this episode, they are the losers of the vampire world for sure. Um, and yeah, I just like Guillermo's role in this and saving everybody and killing a bunch of vampires again, he can justify this as being in defense of these people. And yet he has decided to defend the people who walked in fully aware of what they were walking into and chose this over the vampires who are, you know, if you were going to stand back and frame it this way, you could say they were in their home minding their own business and these people came at them, you know, and the Guillermo that we met in the first season would have taken it that way. But now he's out here defending these people and it's just a whole different vibe with him. Oh my God, Bravi, right? Thank you for reminding me. Um, so first there's the moment in the attic where he just tosses the girl out the window, which is so funny. There are so many moments in this attack scene where things feel really chaotic and you kind of wonder, are they going to be able to bring a focus back to this scene? Cause everything is bonkers. And then something specific will happen that will like laser focus it. And you're like, there it is. And this scene in the attic, you know, they walk up there, all of these, uh, coffin doors fly open and there are like i said at least six maybe more like eight vampires there's a ton of them and you have this like oh my god and it begins to pop off and there's so much happening and then he grabs a girl tosses her through the window and then he gives the vampires the finger as he like falls backward out the window it is quite a moment like Honestly, I want to know how he felt like that and didn't break his entire neck because it feels like that shouldn't have been possible. But I am going to screen share with you guys right now while I'm because I have it on. And that is one of my favorite things to uh, to do is like let the audience in the crowd cast watch along with me for a second. Um, but yeah, so we have... We have him killing the little two girls. I love, like I said, when he just says, sorry. Um, and he's the one who brought these stakes. I want to add that as well. Like he was telling them it's just so that they can practice with them. But what it comes down to in these scenes is that he's killing all of these vampires with the weapons that he brought with him and brought to this group. Not even the shit that the crew all made together. I forgot about how she has the... Uh, the light bulb or the flashlight on her like 
bike helmet. So yeah, here it is. He gives, he flips backwards out through the window, honestly. And then all the vampires turn around and begin to come at the camera guy and the sound guy in such a great moment. I love whenever they decide that they are going to remind us that the camera crew is there. That shit always hits for me. It's just every time they go just long enough for me to sort of stop thinking about the camera crew and everything as people. And then they just take a step back and remind us like, no, 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 those are, those are human beings in that room. like capturing all of this. And then we see them like fleeing the scene. So yeah, this, (laughs) this ends, like I said, with them all very subdued in this van. And then when he gets home, he has blood all over him. He is a mess. And when he walks in, Laszlo says, I like the tie-dye. Did you go to a concert? Guys, here's my question. Is this all vampire blood? Because I really feel like they're vampires and they should be able to smell that it's blood, but they apparently don't smell that it's blood. I don't know if my assignment of their ability to smell blood is just me carrying over a trope that hasn't been established in this show specifically. And that might be all it is, is that I'm just doing a thing where I'm including, you know, something that I've accepted from other lore. And this show hasn't explicitly said that's how it works here. But that was the one thing that I got a little bit sort of like confused by is that they None of them seem to be aware that it's blood. And if anybody's going to know what fucking blood looks like, one would think it would be vampires. And maybe that's supposed to be part of their being incompetent, but it felt beyond just incompetent to me. It felt unbelievable, you know? Um, But regardless, it doesn't really matter. It was just one of those moments. And he had been told to go buy Tide pens and took some money from the money dish in Nandor's room. So when he comes back in, he tells Nandor that Tide pens were on sale. So you got some money back. And this is what Nandor assigns as unforeseen riches. That was in the, uh, the curse email. This is his reward for sending the thing on to 10 people. Um, so he gets in bed And by bed, I mean coffin. And he tells Guillermo how much he, like, he's, he's more scared than he's used to being. He's afraid of getting killed in his sleep. And he sort of like yells at Guillermo for not being there that night. And is like, anything could have happened to us and you weren't even here. And it's a weird combination here because like Nandor is simultaneously being such a dick, but also being like more vulnerable than he usually is and more open with that. So Guillermo clearly doesn't really know how he wants to handle it. Like Guillermo is sort of in a fugue state a little bit. It just feels like he doesn't know. Like he wants to care for Nandor because that's part of his job and his routine, but he's also obviously deeply overwhelmed and upset at seeing these people die the way that they did, which is like, honestly, 
we have seen Guillermo dealing with the bodies of the victims. So again, he has been able to turn this shit off for a long time. We saw him handling moving the victims out of the house in like one of the first episodes where he's describing what his jobs are. So things have shifted for him clearly. And looking at these guys as the same species as whatever he was just up against, I think is probably like having, it's taking a bit of a toll on him. So Nandor asks him to stay until he's fallen asleep and Guillermo agrees to, but then once the lid is closed, he immediately starts to leave, which like, we just have never seen him be that sort of uncaring before the transition that's happening of him really being fucking done. It's slow. And I find it to be pretty satisfying and believable. You know, every day he's sort of coping with a new aspect of this that he's realizing he doesn't like and doesn't want to be part of anymore. And the episode ends with him taking out one of those Tide pens and just starting to get to work on this absolute loss of a shirt. There is nothing to be done. That shirt needs to be either dyed red or thrown away. And he's just working on it with that little Tide pen sitting there next to Nandor's coffin. And it's fantastic. (laughs) This is just a really good episode. Like, there's a lot of forward movement here. I am so excited to see what happens with Guillermo. Um, Yeah, I am just really into and I'm so excited, guys. I don't know if I said this last time, but Max, who commissioned this episode, has gone ahead and commissioned the rest of this season. So I know that a third season is going to be dropping like at some point that has not been commissioned, but um, at least we know we're going to get through the rest of season two. So I'm super excited about that. So thank you, Max. Um, All right, everybody. Well, thank you all for coming and hanging out with me. Appreciate you all. And until next time. Toodaloo, motherfuckers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.